Alright, guys, so we're going to start here again in Revelation chapter 12. It's the woman, dragon, and child. Um, again, the first part of Revelation 12 is a sign, it's a vision. It's not actually something literally that's happening. Uh, he's seen this, John's seen this vision in heaven. Um, so the rest of chapter 12, um, until we get to a certain point, is also going to be this vision. So the first thing that John sees is a woman with a sun on her head, a moon on her feet, 12 stars on a crown on her head, and she's giving birth. It's a crazy weird sign to think about. Uh, you're in heaven watching this. You know it's not literally going to happen, but still seeing that vision is pretty crazy to think of. And I'm going to explain what this actually represents, because although what's happening is not literally going to happen, it does represent literal events that will happen. And so as we go on here, um, the woman actually represents Israel, the country of Israel. Okay? And this first part of Revelation chapter 12, it actually parallels to a verse uh, or a story in Genesis, in Genesis 37. And if you go to Genesis 37, it says this right here. And I'll read it off to you guys. Genesis chapter 37, and it starts in verse 9. It says, it talks about Joseph. Then he drained another drain, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have drained another drain. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars are bowing down to me. But when he told his fathers and his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said to him, What is this drain that you have drained? Shall I, your mother, and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the same in mind. So you see the same imagery used there about sun, the moon, and the stars. All this is a representation of a bigger picture here. So again, the woman actually represents Israel. The dragon you're going to see later is Satan. The child is going to be Jesus, okay? And these 12 stars that we keep talking about represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So all this is going to play a pretty big part here in Revelation here in a second. And I want to read you guys off something I found. Um, <clears throat> and this is on, I actually got questions. Somebody, uh, one of the theologians wrote this. It's pretty good. It says, a woman clothed with sun. Scripturally, this woman clothed with the sun should be identified with Israel, which we talked about, according to Joseph's dream, which we read. In that dream, the sun, S-U-N, represented Jacob, the moon represented Joseph's mother, Rachel, and the eleven stars were the sons of Israel, which had ended up bowing down to Joseph when he became king, or ruler, not king. In this sign, the twelve stars, Joseph now is among the other eleven stars as the twelve tribes of Israel. That makes sense? So in the Genesis account, you have eleven stars because Joseph actually ends up being the twelfth tribe. And now in Revelation here, you have the 12 stars because Joseph's life has already passed. What you're about to hear is pretty crazy, but it's important. So the woman again was pregnant, was crying out in, in birth pains, in agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diamonds. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was called up to God and to the throne. So this dragon appears on the scene. He swipes his tail and knocks a third of the stars of heaven down to, to earth, 
Again, this is all a vision now. And the dragon is now standing over this woman that's giving birth, waiting for the child to be born so he can eat it. It's crazy, okay? Uh, so it's a pretty weird, bizarre vision. But here's what it means, okay? Uh, the dragon, like I said, is Satan. The child talks about being ruling with the rod and things like that. The child is Jesus. So this vision is showing that um, Jesus comes out of Israel. Because Jesus is, is from God's chosen people, right? You guys catch that? The, the Bible says. So, the woman birthing the child, it's a weird vision, but it's showing that is, Jesus comes out of Israel, okay? Um, and then the dragon being Satan, he wants to devour Jesus because he wants to be the king. He wants to be the Lord. And the dragon is actually has a very unique appearance. And, that's what, and, that, and that, that kind of goes along with this. As it says, the dragon here, let me read off to you here. We'll fast forward just a little bit. We'll actually back up a little bit. So he has these seven heads and ten horns. And he has these diadems, kind of like basically almost like a, a, a jewel. Um, and so he's wearing this crown. He's basically trying to, to show himself as a king. So his vision represents that Satan is going to try to overthrow Jesus and his followers and, and be the one that people worship. He wants to be the one that's king and in charge, which, I mean, obviously makes sense, you know, as you see in the world today. Um, and now the story takes a little turn here uh, after this and gets, a, gets pretty interesting. And I want to read you guys off what it says here before, though. It says, the crown represents his presumptive claims of royal authority against the true king, which is Jesus. Satan, his whole life, desires to be a king. That's the whole reason he got thrown out of heaven in the first place. He tried to overthrow God, and he got kicked out. Um, and so this whole time, he's trying to become king, even though he knows he, he's going to get defeated. Um, and so from a similar description given in uh, Daniel, it's actually clear that the revived Roman Empire is now in view. Now listen to this. The seven heads and the ten horns refer to the original ten kingdoms, of which three were subdued by the little horn in Daniel 7, 8 who is to be identified with the world ruler of the Great Tribulation, who reigns over the revived Roman Empire. So this vision with the ten horns and stuff, that's not just their random number. It represents the original um, ten kingdoms of the old Roman Empire. Because you guys have probably heard before, this new revived Roman Empire comes into power. They might not be called the Roman Empire. It could be called whatever. But this new government comes in charge. And it's saying at this point is when you're going to see this new government basically being established. And Satan's going to come and try to be the ruler of this government and convince people to follow him over Jesus. And, and, and that he's the savior. He's going to save people from this tribulation. That makes sense? So it's a pretty interesting turn of events. Um, now, <clears throat> after this, it goes back to the woman. In verse 6. And this is when the story really gets interesting. Uh, it's already really interesting, but to me it really takes off right here. And there's a lot of cool things to pull from it. So in, in verse 6 of chapter 12, it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay? So really, uh, again, in the Bible, one thing that's important to note when there's numbers, typically they represent something. So almost four years. Yes, it's good, yeah. 
So 1,260 days is not just a random number again. Most of the time when you see a number in the Bible, it's there for a certain reason. So this, this, this many days is actually three and a half years. The tribulation period in total is seven years. So this event is taking place halfway through the tribulation period. And so when John sees this vision, he's basically seeing a vision of what happens in the middle of the tribulation period and what's about to happen toward as we go to the end. And so Satan actually becomes in power and this, and this revived Roman Empire about three and a half years into the tribulation period. So it's kind of a long time. But at this point, you got to think, out of all things you've heard so far, these people are going to be hopeless. You know, they're living on earth during this time. They're going to be, they're going to be depressed. They're going to be lost. You know, there's bad things happening every single day around them. And so this is the perfect time because everybody's really weak and vulnerable for Satan to come and take charge and to promise, like, civility and comfort and joy and love and wealth and money and whatever he wants to, to promise. And people are more than likely going to buy it at this point and, and begin to follow him. And his following becomes very, very large, obviously, after this. Uh, it's the same thing is true in our society today. People take advantage of those that are weak. And Satan takes advantage of us when we're weak as well. You know, when you're down, Satan's that boy that kicks you while you're down. Because he knows when you're weak, you're tempted to, to go away from God, to turn to other things, to go into sin. And so when these people have suffered three and a half years in the tribulation, it's then when Satan attacks, when they're weak and they're vulnerable, and they're even more than likely to follow him. So just think about that, that kind of corruptness that's happening as well. So, verses 7 through 11 says, now catch this, okay? Now war arose in heaven. <clears throat> Michael and his angels. Michael? Yeah, yeah. Archangel Michael, he comes into play here. Um, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. So, you're going to have a heavenly war take place between Satan and Michael. Not, not God and Satan. Satan and Michael. Here's, here's what's interesting, okay? This is pretty crazy. This would be a, be a pretty epic movie. This one will make this one day. But it'd be hard to get a biblical actor, so I get why I'm not doing it. Uh, but it says, Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were also thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Now, very interesting point here today. Wait, what happened to Michael? Um, so Michael is considered like an archangel in the Bible, like one of the angels like in the highest of power. And I, I, I'm not an expert on this. We talked about angels before. But there seems to be a, a rank of angels where there's some angels that are higher ranked than others and have different positions in heaven than others do. And so Michael is pretty much the highest position of an angel you can be in heaven. But if you think about it, Satan was what before he became Satan? You might know his name? He was, he was Lucifer. Lucifer. Lucifer was considered the most beautiful angel of, uh, before he became Satan. He was highly, highly adorned in heaven as far as like 
his kind of power and, and, and what he was until he decided to turn against God. And so Lucifer is, is, is of the same kind of power that Michael has. So uh, as, far as, as far as just like, as far as just, I think there's many archangels, like many kind of, but he's kind of the same kind of power as Michael. And so um, Satan knows he can't defeat God. That he's not, he's not as powerful as God. He knows that. So he goes after this archangel Michael in heaven and tries to attack him. And the other fallen angels also do this. And there's this heavenly battle, a spiritual battle that goes on between Michael and Satan. And Michael and his armies are the ones that um, end up winning this battle. And when they win this battle, they throw down the dragon and the ones that follow him to earth. And now what's important to note about that verse there, it says that after this, Satan is locked out of heaven. Satan can no longer go back into heaven. Now here's so what's is crazy. This, the future or the past? this is in the future. So here's what's crazy to think about this. Um, I did some study on this. If you look throughout the Bible, there are times where Satan appears back in heaven. Think about the think about Job. You know, in the book of Job, Satan talks to God. And he says, if you do this to Job, then I'm sure that Job will leave you. If you take away his wife, his kids, or take away his kids. You take away his livestock, his wealth, you put swords on his body, Job's not going to honor you. And God says, you know what, Satan, I'll allow you to do that to Job, because I know Job's still going to follow me. And in the end, Job does do that, and God restores his, 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 uh, his wealth and possessions, and he has more children and things like that. So, right now, and up until the end times, Satan does still have an access to heaven. He can still... Um, and so, what's interesting though is because you, you remember, if we get to um, the um, I was about heaven, you have that kind of like the paradise place, and then you have the ultimate heaven that's opened up later on in Revelation. So yeah, so he won't be there at that point. He's walked out before he gets to that point. Um, and so uh, Satan goes in front of God and accuses people and tries to basically convince God that. They're not worthy. You know, Aaron's, just, Aaron's got all these terrible sins. Bradley's got all these terrible sins. He's not worthy of you. And, you know, you, should just, you can't use him, that kind of deal. And, and God still allows him to do that right now. He, he doesn't totally ban him at, at, right now. But he is at this point. At this point, God officially kicks him out of heaven for all, all time's sake, and he can never go back in. So that's an important point to know. What's also um, important to know is think about if you're Satan, okay? So yeah, think about if you're Satan, and you know your time is about to end. You just got kicked out of heaven for good. Now you can't even go in front of God and talk to Him and try to convince Him that you know His His people aren't really going to follow Him and He can't really use His people. Although you got to think He's never going to totally He's never going to convince God and sway Him, but He still tries. He tries for centuries. So now he can't even talk to God anymore. And he knows his time on earth is about to end as well. So if you're Satan at this point, you're pretty mad. And you also have an urgency about you that I've got to take as many people down as possible because I know my time is short. And that's why when you see, too, in this tribulation period, why it gets so bad so quick. Because Satan's trying to take down as many people as possible before he knows that the end is eventually going to happen. Yeah, why? So, like, if you can, like, try and
it's interesting because the um, the spiritual, I, I'm not sure on that one, because the spiritual realm, like the angels, the angelic beings, are not the same as the human beings, and so I'm not sure if it's... They do, yeah, so I'm not sure if it's a... It's the same kind of principles apply. I'm not sure. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good. It's something to look into, though. You could have to look into that. Yeah. So he had free will to yeah. choose to do all that. Could he repent then? Yeah, and that's something that's really interesting because yeah, and that, that was a great point. So she asked if um, Satan could have repented, you know, um, from because he had free will like humans did. I mean, he still um, has time technically, but it's already written. No, no, it's true though. So Satan could have repented. I mean, he didn't, obviously. He's, he's not going to. But at the same time, God didn't send Jesus to die for the angels. He only sent Jesus to die for the human. And what's interesting about this is this. Really crazy. Now, if you think about this, it's kind of blow your mind. In Genesis, um, God basically, well, God claims that we are his most prized creation. You know, we, we are God's most treasured for creation. Uh, not the animals, not the angels that came before, not any of that. Humans were God's most proud position because we're the only thing that's actually made in God's image. Everything else is not made in God's image, although it may have characteristics that God gave them. Nothing's made in God's image but humans. And so later on in the Bible, it says because God loved us so much, humans, he sent Jesus to die for us so if we repent, we can still get to heaven. But angels didn't have that same kind of grace from God. And you think about, well, that's not really fair. Well, technically, God didn't do it for us either. Because God is just. He can make the rules. And if you sin against God, like we, we've all done, we technically deserve hell too in separation from God. But God, God loved us so much that he gave us another chance through Jesus. Uh, and, because, and so we can put our faith in him, we can still get to heaven. Um, but no other part of creation has that same kind of um, grace. That makes sense? Mm. Interesting to think about. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. about. the dragon. What was the thing about the pregnant woman giving birth to a dragon? Oh, she gave birth to a child, and the dragon was trying to kill the child. So the pregnant woman was... Because the child was, was going to rule over the new Roman Empire? No, 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 no. The child was just representing, like, the true ruler, which is Jesus. And the dragon is going to come down to earth. And basically, be the ruler of this new woman. So the woman was Mary. Huh? So the woman is Mary. Um, the woman. So that's A lot of people think the woman is Mary. A lot of the Catholics believe that. And a lot of times, when you see Mary, she's pictured with the sun behind her, and they kind of get this from this. Um, but really, that's not the best interpretation of this because although Mary did birth Jesus, um, later on you'll see the woman's also referenced here, and it doesn't make sense that she was Mary because it. it Actually places her like in the end times, and obviously Mary's not in the end times. And it looks like no, because that's that's the thing too. Is remember it's a sign, and that's where people get kind of confused on Revelation. This woman's not a real woman; it's just a vision, uh, and it's supposed to represent something else. It's like a story, basically. Like Jesus tells stories in the Bible, parables. Parables. It's the same kind of concept. She's not a real person. People think it represents Mary, but it really. Does it make sense to represent Mary? Because um, it, it's supposed to represent Israel. Jesus comes forth from Israel as the true king. The dragon Satan tries to overthrow the true king. And then when he comes to earth, he's wearing this kind of fake crown, representing like he's going to be the king, the ruler. 
But he's yeah, he's the Antichrist. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And yeah. then, what is the rough thing from him? Well, he's kind of, he, he basically empowers this false prophet, like the song of this, this false prophet that will be like a human form. It's going to be this new, like, world leader, basically. He's like, because if you think about it, too, uh, it's a good point. Um, Satan's not in human form, he's a spirit. You know, he's an angelic spirit. So, so he's like, yeah, he's going to, like, empower this false prophet that's going to then become this war. So, listen though, so 
Um, Israel is, is fleeing. Satan is on their heels, okay? And when the water is, is spit up, like a river, trying to drown the woman, what happens is the earth opens up and, and basically makes the water fall down into the earth, and the woman is safe for a time. What's, what's, what God is trying to show us there is that for a certain time in the tribulation period, he will protect his people from, uh, from this heart. But, but, the earth, like swallowed up the water. Um, and that's showing, that, that's showing God's protection of Israel. Now here's what's important to note though, and if you got to remember some of our earlier lessons of Revelation, eventually God releases his hand and basically all of the people on earth feel the wrath of this tribulation. Okay? But for a time, God puts his hand to protect the people that are his chosen people from some of the things that are going to happen in the tribulation. And so this is kind of a foretelling again, a vision showing that, that even though Satan will try everything he can to attack God's people, if God's hands upon his people, he can't hurt them. When God removes his hands is when he allows Satan to hurt them, which again, eventually, you'll see that. Um, also, what's important to note here, and I'm going to read it off to you here, um, I found this pretty important. It's in <clears throat> right here. It says, why does Satan attack the Jewish people? This is a question for all of history, not only for the Great Tribulation. The reason is because the time of, from the time of Abraham, Israel holds a critical role in God's plan of redemption. First, it was bringing forth the Messiah, which, again, Jesus comes from Israel. Um, then it was in the fulfillment of God's plan, because Jesus promised that the Jewish people would exist and welcome him, when he returns in glory to this world, Matthew 23, 39. If Satan succeeds in destroying the Jewish people, then God's eternal plan in some way gets um, derailed. So God is in, in this whole battle in heaven happens because God's trying to mess up, oh, I'm sorry, Satan's trying to mess up God's plan in the end times. Although he can't do that, he still tries anyways. Um, it says the persecution of Israel is part of a satanic program to uh, derail and hinder the work of God. Israel is hated by Satan not only because of its own characteristics, but because she is chosen of God and is central to the overall purpose of God for time and eternity. And then, and the last part here, which I thought was interesting, it says, The fury poured out against Israel after the abomination of desolation uh, was spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 24, 15-22. Um, and I want you guys to catch this in Isaiah 59, 19. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now think about that. That's in the Old Testament. It says again, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You get to Revelation, what's chasing the woman? The flood. And what happens? God, God opens the earth and takes the water away. So it's, it's even using Old Testament imagery. Once again, Revelation. All throughout Revelation, there's a lot of Old Testament prophecy and imagery that's used once again in Revelation, showing basically that God has been present throughout the entire time of history, and his overarching plan is now coming to fruition. Um, now, what I want you guys to leave you with is this. What, how does this apply to our life today? What is, it shows that God's in control. You know, Satan can do anything unless God allows him to do it. 
Satan allows God and Job to, you know, mess with Job. You know, to take away his faith. This, Satan now gets kicked out of heaven. He's eventually going to get kicked out of the earth. And he's eventually going to be sent into hell for all eternity. And so he only has power when God allows him to have power. And, and that should show us that we should put our faith in God, not him. Now, I want you to also think about this. Another important point I'll get to in a second is God's promises and prophecies always come true. And as you see in, in Revelation here, Satan's going to try everything he can to derail that, but it doesn't work. And, and, and God's ultimate plan and his prophecies and his promises all throughout Scripture, every single one of them eventually comes true. I want you guys to hear a story here about um, the, um, the book of, um, I think it's Isaiah. I mean, yeah, I got that right. Let me make sure I have that right. Um, yeah. So, anybody ever read the book of Isaiah, part of it? Some people read part of it? The book of Isaiah is full of prophecy. If you want to go back and read a really interesting book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, read the book of Isaiah. It's full of prophecy. And in the book of Isaiah, it prophesies, who do you think it prophesies about? The coming of, the, of who? Jesus. Okay, so why would why do you why do you guys think that book would be especially dangerous for people that don't believe in Christianity? Because it talks all about what have with, with God, what God's going to do and what's going to happen. Then it proves that the Bible can tell the future, which obviously is not the Bible; it's God's word. So it shows that God really did, um, you know, give the words to these men that wrote this. So. If people can prove Isaiah is wrong in any kind of way, then it kind of boosts their claim toward Jesus as false. Wait, but the prophecies haven't happened yet? Um, no, the book of Isaiah they have, yeah. So that in Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied the coming Messiah, Jesus. So if that happens, which we know it does, then it shows that God's word is reliable and it's true. And that God's word, because Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. I want you guys to think about that, okay? I want you guys to think about this. Look, Isaiah prophesied that a, a baby would come forth from a virgin. Okay, now back then, even that's weird back then. Like, who, who's going to read that and be like, oh yeah, I'm sure that's going to come true. It, hundreds of years later is when you get the virgin birth in Jesus. So if Isaiah can be proven as true, it really puts a lot of validity on the Bible. So there was this group in Germany, um, Probably about 60 years ago now. I feel like the closest to the Antichrist we've had is like Hitler. <laughs> Probably. Um, so listen to this. I'll start with that too. Yeah. So in Germany back in the day though, I think it was around the 1960s, um, there was this group that said that the book of Isaiah uh, was actually tweaked over time. And some of these prophecies in Isaiah were actually written hundreds of years after the Isaiah's, Isaiah's death. So Isaiah was the first part of Isaiah, but then somebody else came in later on and finished it off after Jesus was born to kind of make the Bible look like, like, it, like it prophesied this. That makes sense? So they made all these claims, had all this so-called evidence, and this, this theory was out there for quite some time. What, what is the most, what's pretty crazy though is that God's never going to be ultimately mocked. You can make fun of God for a time, but eventually God's going to win in the end. You might remember the Dead Sea Scrolls? No. Yes. So the Dead Sea Scrolls get get discovered, 
in the late 1900s. You want to know what scroll was complete uh, for? Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in the, in the entirety of the original scroll of Isaiah, it has the prophecy of Jesus in there. That's and so um, pretty crazy to think about because, I mean, those people have the so-called evidence or whatnot for these claims, and if you went back in that time period, well, it's pretty easy to believe that. And the devil's a master of deception. But if we realize that God's promises and promises are always true, even though they may seem elaborate, and think God will give us stuff like that over time that reassures our faith in him. Um, um, so like scroll, that's like the original Bible, right? That's yeah, like, like, like what was actually written like back on like the original scroll of the entire Yeah, like if, if you do some... I don't go into it all the time. Did some studying back then. Um, those that what they wrote on and stuff back then. It's amazing how it preserved over, over time. Was, uh, like papyrus, I think. They took yeah, a papyrus plant, whatever. They took it and they would weave it together and then press it mm. and let it dry, and it would dry as a much stronger piece of paper than what we use today. Gotcha. Yeah, I heard something like that because like. Uh, there, you know, if you look at this scroll of Isaiah that they found, you can do some research online on the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's not in pristine condition. Like, I mean, it's definitely, you can see the, it's been worn over time. But yeah, it, it's amazing how much it preserves. Whenever you say... Did they put it in the I think so. Whenever, whenever Bradley says that it was, like, the full scroll, it, he means, like, it was a puzzle. They, uh, they had to put it together. I remember seeing a picture of it. There were, like, pretty much every piece was not this big. Yeah, there it, were, like, hundreds of different Yeah, it... Obviously, originally it was all together, but over time, even this kind of thing, like you said, how to preserve, it's, it preserved, but it still crumbled and fell apart. They had to put it all together. But it together. still had, like, the words and stuff? Yeah, and so they, when they, when they, I mean, it took them a long time. When they eventually pieced it all together and read it in its entirety, it had the original prophecy of Jesus in there. Yeah, they didn't interpret it, obviously. It wasn't English, yeah. Um, yeah. interesting because um, like the Muslims will claim like they have these gold tablets and build tombs and stuff like that Muhammad did. Um, but you think about God in the Bible, most of the time when he reveals himself to people, it's not in some kind of elaborate, crazy fashion. Like it's not showy like that. Uh, Jesus came in riding on a donkey, he was born in the manger. Um, you know, it, it was never about being flashy and showy. It was more about like, hey, just trust me, have faith in me. And so that's kind of a, an interesting point too. Uh, the last thing I want to go over here is that evil's reign is very short-lived. You know, Satan even knows his time is short. And so, yeah, you can go against God's plan. You can live ways that are contrary to the Bible, but it's only going to last so long. Uh, eventually, you're going to lose in the end. Eventually, you're gonna, it's going to turn into ruin. And so, decide today who you're going to live for, and live for the one who's ultimately in control, uh, and the one that will ultimately bless us with eternity if we give our lives to him. So let me go ahead and pause.